Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Thanks for joining us once again. And today I've got an interesting topic that I want to talk about, something that is a common theme with basically everything that we address in most episodes is teaching our dogs what we want them to do rather than focusing on what we don't want them to do. And I do talk about it a lot and I want to go into just a little bit more detail to make it clear because I don't know, there's things like there's these sort of themes and topics to be covered that are congruent across all of our training and I don't think we can talk about them enough because we tend to get into old habits or get into bad habits or keep old habits around and specifically about training our dogs. And I think this can go even across the board in regards to even how we manage our own lives in, in different ways. So, of course, dog trainers are employed for um, for dogs to stop doing behaviours, but our job should be really to be teaching dogs what we want them to do. And usually that's the opposite. So let's talk a little bit about that. So mo- uh, there's two do- sort of categories or three categories of people that search for dog trainers. Number one is that their dogs drive them completely mad and they need some sort of help to stop the undesirable behaviours. We have people that are proactive and they even contact contact trainers before they even get a puppy or they're looking for a pup or they just get a dog, they just rescued a dog and they want to do things right, either because they've had a bad experience or because dog training is just becoming more of a, a known thing to do with your dog, which is good for us. Um, in the last decade, it has really risen massively. So, and then the third person is the the, the enthusiast, the, the, the trainer themselves or people that are really digging deep into training, you know, searching for the advanced obedience stuff and for the the competition side of training or even the workability side of training or even just going deeper in terms of, for example, someone who wants to do um, scent detection, so going to a nose works sort of training and then going into deeper with that. So there are those, those three different categories and of people that are looking for trainers. So what we need to be focused on in terms of the people that, first of all, call us because there's an issue is that, and that's that, that this is what it's mainly focused on today is about those, those people. So if let's just say so client of mine the other day, now they actually fit into two categories. He um, was one of my neighbors. He moved and then he contacted me because he wanted to do training. He just got a puppy who was a, it's a Roddy cross Husky. So um, you probably see that on my feed probably a week from when you're when this has been released. Um, he's a cool-looking dog. But we saw him when he was a real small puppy, around nine weeks old, and we've done follow-ups every, like, couple of months. And I saw him just that last week, and now he's 11 months old. That dog knows stuff. That dog knows the commands. His walking's getting better. There's different phases of training. People have to realize as well, like, at a different age, yeah, we fixed it then or we've managed it then, but then when they get to 11 months, we manage it there. And then a year and a half, you know, like dogs are a little bit different and I'm assuming then when I am working with a lot of my clients, I'm assuming that they don't know as much as someone like what I know. So then we need to change the technique a little bit. So there is a bit of a modification and we will find that ourselves as you're raising your own dog is that 
It's like, oh, this really worked last time. And, and if you did it correctly, then the issue wouldn't be. But, for example, walking. Walking is about, you know, when the puppy's quite small, we have him on a harness and, you know, our rules are lax. We're just getting him out and about, exercise the body, but also for him to experience the world. But when they get to around eight months old and they're pulling like really hard, then we have to change our technique. We get him onto a training collar. And then depending on how good people can pull it off and depending on how easy the dog is to work with, then by the time they're 12 to like 18 months, then things are pretty cruisy. But the the reality is that Dogs change a little bit. We get used to them as a puppy, but they're eight months old. They're starting to mature. They're adolescents, you know, and dogs aren't maturing at around about that three-year-old mark. So, there's there's some changes. If you can do a good up to that first two years, I think we're doing really well. However, we saw Pablo. So, we're up in the, in the back inside the house and I'm like, all right, before we do anything, what are we doing today? What is the What are the things that you would like to work on? And this is exactly the topic of today where they, where she says, I want to teach my dog to come back because when he runs at the front door, I need him to come to me. And that in itself is a problem. We should have a recall. And I think your recall should be strong enough so that if your dog was out in the front yard and you call them to come back to you, that they should come back to you. That is good for safety. It's good for livability. And it's just a desirable thing. It's a good connection with you and your dog. However, that wasn't the thing that I got employed in that moment to stop from getting the dog coming back to me when he goes out the front. And my whole thing is why the hell is he getting out in the out out in the front yard unattended when he's not supposed to be in the first place? The dog's in the backyard and he doesn't live inside the house. He can come in from time to time, but we'll get to that in a moment. But basically she leaves that front door open because when she's cooking, it gets a bit hot and she wants a bit of a draft to get the smell out. Completely cool. However, there's no screen door. So when that door's open, it's open. So then if she's going to go out then in the backyard to like grab the thing off the line that's when Pablo scoots past her because he's big and strong and smart and he gets past her legs and boom, he, he has access to go out. There's no front gate. So, at this stage, the only thing that's stopping him from getting on the road and, and getting hit by a car is just that one back door. So, it's not good enough. Just in terms of management, again, that, so our, sorry, our point of what we're trying to work on here is I'm employed to stop the dog from being out the front. Let's teach him that he's not allowed to get out the front yard. He's not allowed to get past that door unless we tell him to, that back door. So, we, um, now the dog does understand a bed command, does understand a sit. He knows to hold it until we say, okay, now when we say he knows to do it, that he has the potential to do it. However, it has to then become consistent enough for then it becomes now your language, your communication, your, your, um, the way that you can communicate with your dog and that's the point of all of this so we drilled absolutely drilled opening the door walking out coming back in while the dog was still in the backyard closing the door opening the door intermittently randomly we would be rewarding him and then we did that when there was no lead on so we're telling him when there's no lead on you have no success in just running inside that's what we want to teach him for now and that's our plan our goal then we say when he's allowed to come inside, whether it's to go for a walk because he has to go through the house to go for a walk because the side gates are not an operation. So, um, or if he wants to come inside to hang out, at the moment he's doing it twice a week. He'll just come out and maybe hang out for like five minutes. But when he comes in, he's running amok, running around, um, grabbing things he's not supposed to. He's just being a cheeky young dog inside someone's house that have no structures and rules and boundaries. So, we put the lead on him and we taught him when we come inside through the door that- He's only so we would open the screen door, the back door in the backyard. I would step in front of him, come back, randomly reward him. If he tries to get up, 
we issue a bit of pressure. So we do the technique that has been taught, basically. Then he's only allowed to come inside once we say, okay, then we come back inside. We turn around, we go back outside, we close the door. And what we did here was showing him that the only time that you're allowed to actually step through the doorway is when I say, okay, when the lead's on you. We'll do that for the first six months. When it was time for us in the next phase of the training is to bring him inside and tell him, when you come inside, you have to hang out on your bed for now. The rule is you want to come inside, the only place you stay is on your bed. When he learns to be more appropriate, he's not running around grabbing everything and we've done it with a bit of conditioning where the dog understands that this is the only way that I get to hang inside. Then over time, we lax the rules. We, the rules. we have the lead loose, um, things like that. But that's future plans. Right now, we need to be focused on what we want, not on what we don't want. We're, and I want to talk more about that in a sec. So here we're showing him that it's all about structure and control. And if you don't learn to run through that back door, He can't go out. Another thing I said to a good management was there was a space for her to be able to put a screen door on that, um, on the front door there, which would be perfect for so many reasons. Extra security. You want to be able to keep your door open without anybody coming in. You want to have that security of the screen door there. So then if he does happen to run through that back door, which he's had heaps of success, he's going to try. As soon as he runs out through there and he goes out into the, um, the front door, there's a screen door stopping him. Make sure that there's an auto automatically closing. Um, hinge on that on that screen door so it shuts down uh, always closed if anybody leaves it open it's always closed after so that's a few ways of just giving you a taste of what was happening in that session now within like you know 15 minutes we're having we're talking and with the dog was just you know it wasn't a training session it was more of this is what it should look like when you guys are preparing dinner um, or when you're like you're, you're doing things in the kitchen we're sweeping around the dog can hang out with us 15 minutes at a time do it a couple of times a day teach a dog that you may get rewarded for it if you break position the part of the bed the bed command is we say the word bed he has to stay in that position until we give him the release command so we're teaching him everything what we want not focusing on we'll let him run out the door so we can call him to come back in we don't want that In saying that, the end of the session was about going for a bit of a walk and then finishing it with recall inside the driveway so that if he ever does go out there, our backup plan, and it should be a skill, a life skill anyway, is that he comes back to us. Same using, and we're going to, today we're going to be basically using this session as an example, is that as soon as we went out in the front yard with the dog, all he could focus on was everything around him and not focus on on us at all. He was just scanning the the environment, looking around, um, with like hyperactivity, he was very aroused and excited. And for two reasons, he will, he, every time he leaves the house, he goes to the same park. So it's predictable, but also nothing else happens in front of the front yard, except for being used as a transitional space from inside, outside, outside, inside. And there was no hanging out there and there was no training there. So the dog Pablo prefers the ball rather than the food. He will take food happily outside. He takes it just because he feels like, yeah, what the hell I'll take it. But there was no real intent. Put him on a long line after a little bit of a walk. We called him to, and we had spades as well out there as an extra distraction. He knows recall. He just didn't know that he had to do it. So we taught him. So what I did was I called him to come. He came with a little bit of me- mediocre energy. He wasn't that interested, but he came. He sat in front of me and then um, I gave the marker for him to get the ball. And he, his eyes lit up. He's like, I didn't even know this was a possibility. So we after he got that first ball, I had 100% of his attention, didn't matter about anything else. Then we started doing a little bit of a training session, finished it up on a positive note, three to five minutes. And we just hung out in the front yard, had a little chat, session was over. So my point there is that we constantly want to be teaching our dogs what we want them to do, set them up for success so they understand that there's a potential that I may even get the ball here um, in the front yard. If, if I do ever run away 
where should the dog be running to? Most dogs go out, they sniff around, they come back anyway. Some dogs run and they're running for the hills. You got to send a search party to get them. Um, and at my house, I like to think, and I know from experience that if my doors are open, I'm not panicking. My dog, even if she, both of them were to go outside, they're probably sniffing the grass out the front coming back. The problem is that I don't know what other dogs are walking past if I'm not supervising. So, of course, it's not desirable at all. Spades will basically go sniff pee on the bush and then come back inside or lay in the driveway, where Nook is a bit more of a venturer. So, making sure those gates are closed. Basically, all of this is about teaching our dogs to do mutually exclusive behaviors. So, we teach Bubble inside the house to stay on his bed. Again, this is just for this phase of the training that he ha- the only time he's inside the house is when the lead is on, either we're going for a walk or he's laying on his bed. It's the only place we want him to be because we want him to be behaved. So when I say, so then teaching mutually exclusive behavior is teaching, teaching the dog to do the opposite behavior. If you don't want him jumping and running around and grabbing things, teach him to lay on his bed and then we can make it better by re- reinforcing him. No ball in the house, we use the food inside the house, keep the drive low. Have the lead on him so if he ducks off to get off out of position, we grab the lead, we take him back. No lead on, hard to catch him. Also, the lead should associate that we're doing some form of work. We're working together. Then over time, we can condition the dog and train the dog to understand that we don't need the lead, we still do it. Because towards the set, like throughout the session, I would open the, the back gate. The lead was on him, but I wasn't holding it. I go, Pablo, bed. And he came inside and he went onto his bed. And then rewarded him. And the other command that we want to teach him is outside. So I said outside. There was a couple of times I needed to grab the lead and use some pressure to like, you know, leash pressure to f- guide him out because all he wanted to do was run to the front door. But after a few good repetitions, he fulfilled the task very, very good. I can only imagine with six weeks of consistency, he's going to be great. So, um, so have a plan. You need to have a plan about what you're actually aiming towards. What are you trying to do? And in that plan, you have to have goals. So what I do for my own personal life is every six six months, I refine my long-term goals and I write them down. So I have the same book and I do look back on other years to see where I've been as well. It's important. but And this goes directly with dog training as well. But you got to have your goals and then you want to have your to-do list, your plans that reflect directly to those goals. And that way, they're everything that you're doing. Like part of my to-do list today was to play play catch up, doing all the admin stuff and, and tying up loose ends of things that I need to be done. And part of it was the podcast, right? I've got to record an episode. We record, I'm recording the episode now, but the, but the goal is to have a good podcast that people enjoy and that it, it, it benefits everybody. So, um, so with your dog training, you, we're working on the goal is that Pablo can come inside the house off the lead. He can hang out inside like a, the, the Hollywood dog that just hangs out with us and doesn't, and, co- and is pleasing to be around and he compliments the house, not complicates things. You can't say, and when I ask people all the time, what are your goals? I want my dog to behave, number one. That's not clear enough. I want my dog not to be reactive. That's not a goal. A goal is about, so we want to use positive language. I want my dog to be calm in the house to be able to listen to my commands rather than saying I want him to behave. Instead of saying I want my dog to not be reactive, you should say, I want my dog to be able to follow basic obedience commands, walk on a loose leash, and be focused on me when there's dogs and birds around. You've got to write these things specifically so you know what you're aiming at. No one grabs a bow and arrow and aims it at the target 
with um, by saying, don't miss, don't miss, don't miss. You shouldn't be saying that. What you should be saying is hit the bullseye, hit the bullseye, looking at the thing. I'm always welcome to be being wrong, but what I heard could have even been a Jordan Peterson quote was the, or maybe an Alan Watts thing, you know, obviously I'm, motiva- I'm, I'm in- inspired by both those individuals, is that the Latin term for the word sin is a Latin archery term, which is to miss the mark. And what does that mean? I say that to my clients, <laughs> look at me pear-shaped, is um, you can't say when you're, a- when you're walking your dog down the street and you know your dog chases the birds and like pulls you off your feet to get to the birds, you can't say in your head, oh, or even say out loud to your dog, oh, don't chase the birds. What you would, what you should be saying and what the point of today's episode is, hey, focus on me, look at me. So that way there, when we, when we can stop, the birds are at a certain distance away that the dog can be comfortable with. We teach the command, let's just say it's a look or we're practicing the name game or giving a command and the dog denies and, and disobeys or doesn't want to do those things because he's, he's motivated to chase the birds. We, and, as, and especially if you know the dog can do it and he's done it before, but you just, you want to, um, just in this particular case, he's testing it out. He's not, he's not sure. Then you should correct him for not looking or not doing the down rather than telling him, you lunge at the bird and you're getting corrected for it. And certainly there are cases, of course, where if, let's just say we'll fast forward a couple of months and the dog's been really good around birds, but it happens to be this one time a Cronulla, he just gets jacked up, the seagull comes really close to him and he goes and lunges at it. I would give him a quick little leash pop to be like, don't do that because we've been training, first of all, not to do it. Now, usually what I would do with my dogs, I'd tell them to be in a down anyway. If I'm sitting down having fish and chips and the seagull comes close and my dog gets out of the down, to lunge at the bird, I'd be saying, hey, why did you get out of the down for? I told you down until I say okay. But then he could be on the long lead, sniffing around, the bird comes and he goes to chase it. If I'm really saying, no, I don't want you chasing the birds, I can go, hey, don't do that, for sure. But what I could also do is when I see that he's about to lunge at the bird and I go, Pablo, come. And then he comes to me and I reward him. Awesome. Or I say, Pablo, come. And I know that he has the potential to do it, but this time he blows me off because he wants to try it. Then I can pull some leash pressure on and make it happen. So you see here that we're always aiming at what we're looking at rather than just waiting and being reactive with our dogs. And when they do something, we react with them. So really, guys, if you, when you're training your dogs, know what you're trying to teach a dog to do rather than focusing on what we don't want them to do. So, so important. And there we want to, we, and we also want to talk about punishing appropriately. So, in that case with the birds, is that is your dog even understanding what the hell happened? Your dog's in such a heightened state of mind and in prey drive chasing a bird, and then you give them a correction. Yeah, it may stop them, but then what are you doing after it? So, yeah, the dog lunges and like takes out a little child because there's a bird behind them and it's embarrassing, it's not safe, et cetera, and you have to work on your management plans. Um, but shit happens, and that's just how it is with dogs and, and, and it, it's supposed to happen. It's life, right? It's that you'd correct him, but then also say, come back next to me and stay down. If you can't act, and I'll probably put him on a short lead if he's on the long lead and he's, ta- and he's knocking kids down, then it's not the appropriate place. You want to set our dogs up for some form of success, especially if you're working towards something. Like with my dogs, I'm a bit more lax because no one's chasing birds and dogs. Um, and there's heaps of times when my, and every single time my dog sees some, another dog and the dog's coming a bit close, I'm like, hey, come here, down. Like manage the situation, right? Punish appropriately so you're not trigger happy. Because if you're wait, if you're focusing on what you 
don't want to see in your dog, you're more likely to correct the dog or rouse on him rather than looking at, well, I'm actually aiming at my dog focusing more on me. So it was perfect the other day where um, my client's dog reacts to dogs, right? So, and she's potentially aggressive. She hasn't actually been aggressive, but you can tell she has some intent. So, and she's getting much better, but we're walking in a busy environment. And we said this, we were talking about this exact topic and getting into the, into the weeds about it all. But it's one thing about talking about it. There's another thing about feeling it and experiencing it. And even though you've done it with one or two dogs, you know, I think there's like hundreds of dogs that you need to experiment with this to start, um, start realizing how true this is. So don't be that person and make sure that you're, when you're listening to it, the, that's the hardest thing about applying theory, right? Is that it sounds really um, good, it's important, it's it's systematic, but then when you're working with a live being, you're you're imp- you have to not just improve your skills, you have to improve the dog's skills. It's two people working. It's not just a PT training session where you learn to do the equipment, and the equipment's static, it just moves with you. Our equipment, in this case, our dog's doing has its own agenda, so it can get a little bit difficult. And this is exactly why is that. In the moment when we're walking, now the dog was doing really well. Give a bit of context. Walking down the path, dog starts to approach. We made a little bit of space, so we got about three meters. Instead of her dog lunging straight at the dog's neck, we um, we tell her, what was the dog's name? Vinny. Like, Vinny, look. She looks, mark and reward. Look, she looks, mark and reward. She loves the food that we have. She understands it. Also, when we when we ask the word look, we use a bit of a leash pressure technique to to guarantee the command because if she, in one case, doesn't want the food, then we have the pressure there to teach her, hey, take some of this annoying pressure off by looking back at me. None of it's choking. None of it's really intense. It's not even supposed to hurt the dog. It's tactical pressure. She feels a little bit of pressure up underneath her jaw that that we've taught her. That's what it means. So there's a whole technique involved with that. Just towards the end of the walk, there was one dog that was a little bit closer and a little Jack Russell like barked and lunged at her a little bit. And then she like, and then Vinny like proceeded to go towards her. She said, look, which I knew the look wasn't going to work there. That was all about leash handling in that case. And also we probably got too close. But again, life's life and dogs just come very close very quickly. And also we weren't that close. Like we were like two meters from the from each other. But um, And we, she recovered very quickly. That's most important. Vinny, like bad habit, lunged towards. Owner pulled back. Straight away when Vinny understood what was happening, she looked back up. My client released the pressure. We continued walking. But in that moment, she was like, "Uh uh-uh, and then try to correct. And then after the fact, I didn't want to ask her in the moment. That makes no sense. Is that I go, so what happened there? And she goes, well, she lunged at the dog. Obvious. I go, and what did you want her to do? I wanted her to behave. And I go, no. What did you want her to do? What do you want her to do in that moment? Not, Not lunge at the dog. I go, no. What do you want her to do? Oh, I wanted her to look at me. Because she did say, look, or I don't want her to break the rules of the walk, which are I want her to be on a, on a slack lead, no tension on the end of the lead, preferably in line with us so she has a bit of peripheral vision on us. So thinking about that there and when I, when I brought it up, it was immediate smile. She goes, ah, that's exactly what you're talking about. So now hopefully that matched. But it's going to take time because also she's conditioned appropriately when her she sees dogs, she tenses up because the dog's been a real pain in the ass. So there's so many layers to all of this, but really teaching yourselves and your clients as focusing on what you want, not what on you don't want. Um, that's in life too, right? You um, Yesterday, I was journaling saying how much of a lazy asshole I am, and that was incorrect, right? Yeah, I was feeling lazy and it's just me venting to myself, but what's most important is that I should have been, I should be more focused on, oh, wait, hold on, 
what does late what does being lazy means? First of all, it means I could have done the podcast yesterday, but I couldn't be bothered. So if I'm not in the right state of mind, why project myself out there? But also, I should have done 20 minutes of workout, but I didn't. Um, you know, so there's a few things that were that I needed self talk. Because remember, the conversation you have with yourself is a conversation having with the universe and whoever's in control of all of that is listening. It's the quantum field, whatever you want to call it. But what you put out there is what's going to come back. So um, right after this, I'm going to get a 20-minute, maybe even half-hour workout in, shoulders rehabilitating, getting better, finally. But um, you, like my to-do list, my goals are right there, talking about what needs to happen. And align your plan to your goals. Your goals are positive language what you want, not what you don't want, and um, and the consistency about it. Be persistent and enjoy the process, you know. Like, don't focus so much on the – I think this whole time I just realized that there's music playing in the background for my TV and I didn't turn it off. So, damn, I think Luke's going to be upset about that. Um, and I hope it didn't bother you guys at all. Um, that's really annoying. But anyway, hopefully we can fix some of that up. Um, but, yeah, so – have a plan, have a goal, and be fair to your dog. And I think it's really important to close all of this up is that, um, and as I was just saying before, is have fun with the journey of it. You know, don't be resentful to your dog. Um, things take time and it takes time to build some skills as well. So um, go with good intention and be compassionate, but also be firm, be fair. You know, like know what, like you're making progress. You're comparing your dog to how they were yesterday, not to how another dog is today. And that's super, super important about that's what progress is all about. If you want to be in competition, be in competition with yourself. Um, and use the external things as motivations, but not as a benchmark. Because if you're comparing your dog to your neighbor's dog, um, you're doing your dog a disservice, right? Where at least get the help or start aligning your perspective to be that. Actually, I think that makes sense. A bed command in the house is a, is a lifesaver. Then over time, we relax it. Like Spades is laying down somewhere. He's not in his bed right now. He's laying somewhere where it's a bit more cooler. Like I care. It doesn't bother me. But um, but if I tell him bed, he will go on the bed. And when he was younger, it was a lot more bed command. Until now, we can relax it up. Even with Nook, it's the same, exact same thing. So much love to you all. Thank you so much for listening once again. And until next time, have fun. Keep training your dogs and have a great day. Bye. Thank you for listening to another show of Life With Your Dog. Please like, rate and share if you're enjoying our podcast. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. For all dog training videos, tips and techniques, visit nooches.com.au. Thank you and stay tuned for next time.